written thousands of years ago. Every page, every story, inspired from God. Do they apply to me? Is the Old Testament obsolete? With Pastor Jim Scudder, Jr. Is the Old Testament obsolete? Well, we're going to talk about that today and answer that question. I guess with the name Old Testament, it's actually a horrible name for what it is because it gives us the assumption that it's old, outdated, not needed. There's nothing further from the truth. Maybe we should call it the Older Testament or perhaps the Hebrew Scriptures, but let's never ever think that this important division, this major division in our Bible is old and useless and outdated. It is nothing further from the truth. There are things, though, that grow outdated and obsolete. I'm going to give you an example up here of something that we asked you to bring us, different objects, things that your parents or grandparents probably know what it is, but your kids don't. Uh, do I have any kids in here that can help me out? Uh, come up here and look at this item um, right here in the front. Come on up. Yep. Come on up. This kid's on stage almost every week. Come on up. Hurry it up. Let's give Cesar a big hand. Okay, there's a microphone here. I'm going to hand that to you. I know you know how to do that. Okay, are you ready? I'm going to have you look at it and tell me what it is. Put the mic up there. Okay, what is it? It looks like something to wash clothes. <laughs> do you have one of these at home? No. I was going to say, your dad needs to upgrade if you do. Okay, so you're right. This is a washboard. This is something that they would use, and it was very common to get the soil and things out. If you had a rag that was all dirty like that, you would take it, you would have water in here and soap, and they'd dip it in there and then use this to get all of that dirt and grime out of there. Okay? Well, you did it. I think you might be the first one. Do you, uh, do you want something else? You know I have something else, do Okay, this is for you. Use this quickly before it gets obsolete. Yes, sir. Okay, this used to be <laughs> This used to be worth $20, too. I don't know what it's worth anymore. Let's give him a big hand. Thank you. Yes, sir. I'll spend that today, he says. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, money uh Cash will be obsolete soon. I think they'll do away with cash. I, I don't think that's a good idea, but that's what's going to happen. It'll, everything will be digital. But uh, cash isn't worth what it used to be, right? So we're going to talk today about this idea of the, the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. As some pastors have actually said, they aren't needed. They aren't that important. Don't really focus on them. And, and I think if, if Christians, if we do that, we're going to have no basis. We're going to have no understanding for the Christian scriptures, the New Testament. We're not going to know things. Okay. By the way, in Isaiah, it says in verse 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. So what God has said from Genesis 1-1 all the way through to the end of Revelation, those are his words. And they will not come back void. They, will, they, they, are, they are forever. And that's why I love my Bible. 
So we've been using a scripture from the New Testament to springboard back into the Hebrew scriptures, and we're going to do that again today. For instance, if you were reading in the New Testament in Galatians 3, 7, and you would read, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, who is this they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. So they that are of faith, I believe I'm included in that, and any of you that have put your trust in the Lord, you are in the category, then you are the children of Abraham. Some of you are the physical descendants of Abraham, and the rest of us get to be the spiritual children of Abraham. But Abraham, who is this Abraham? Well, if you don't have the Old Testament, the older scriptures, the Older Testament, you wouldn't know that, would you? So that's why we need to know every part of our Bible. Now let's go back and talk a little bit about where we are in our series. We've talked about creation and how God created everything in six literal days and rested on the seventh. And then we, everything was good, probably for a few days, uh, maybe weeks, months, but not very long. And then sin entered the world in a garden. Everything was good and we messed it up. It's our fault. Don't blame God for evil. Don't blame God for cancer and murder and war. This is our fault. This is our fault. And there's, a, there's another one that opposes God, a spiritual being that God created that fell in pride, whose name is Lucifer. We call him the devil. And I would put a lot of blame on him as well. But it's not God's fault. Okay? So we have sin, and then we have death, and we have the first murder, and then we have the, the, the destruction of the entire world by a flood. And if you look in geology, you'll actually see all the layers laid down by water with billions of fossils all over the world, exactly as the Bible would, would, we would expect, right? But we've changed that because it's in the Bible. We've said, no, that happened over millions of years of slow process. Well, how do you preserve so many of those fossils? If it's slow, gradual processes, you can't. When something dies, it rots. It has to be quickly buried in the right conditions. The flood would give you those conditions. That's not my sermon for today. That's free. Now, we continue to go through, and there's a new population from Noah and his sons and their wives, and the whole world were related to one of those sons of Noah. We, we found ourselves at the Tower of Babel, and we found that God said, I want you to disperse, and they didn't. They all stayed in one place, and God said, okay, you're going to do it my way, uh, and he made the division of languages, and we can actually still see the division of nations in Genesis. Even today, you can still see those major people groups that were spread out all over the world, all the way to even the Americas, and they could have, uh, some of them probably could have even walked if the sea levels were lower because of the Ice Age. That's, again, for free. Now, we've come to this amazing person named Abraham. And by the way, if you think we're pronouncing these words correctly, you're wrong. We're not pronouncing Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob correctly. Um, we're going to still say it that way because that's how we say it. That's what we're used to doing. And we're Americans. We're going to do whatever we want to do. We're going to tell the rest of the world they're wrong. Uh, this is, first, his name was Avram. And then Abraham. We're going to call him Abraham today. Uh, his name that God gave him later on. And uh, his son, we call Isaac. It's actually Isaac. Isaac. And his, his son, we call Jacob. And it's actually Yaakov. So we have, we're, we're, we're saying them all wrong, 
Well, we're going to keep doing it because we're Americans. And Abraham was called out of a place called Ur. Look at this map. And we have, uh, we don't know exactly where Ur is. Now, on this map that I'm showing you right now, this is drawn, and, and there is actually a city down in the, the lower area of Mesopotamia near the Persian Gulf uh, that would be a, a little bit southeast of Babylon, and that would have been where the Tower of Babel was. There is a, a town called Ur, and that might be the Ur of, of Abraham, but it, it, Ur, Ur actually means land. So it's the land, he came from the land of the Chaldeans, and this whole area would be known as the land of the Chaldea. And so we do know that they, they moved to Haran for a short time. We do know where that is for sure. It's just across the border north of Syria in Turkey. And then Abraham's dad dies, and then he and Lot uh, travel down to the land of Canaan. Now we, we know Canaan from the Bible, right? Because this was the grandson of Noah, and, and Noah cursed this grandson, the son of Ham. And these were a, a wicked group of people. The, the Canaanites, they were different, um, different family groups that all had their areas that they were in, but it was all in the land of Canaan. And what we're going to do today is pick up from there. Abraham, Ab, uh, Abram is now in Canaan. He builds an altar at Shechem, and that's the modern uh, city of Nablus. That's where the well of Jacob was dug. That's where Jesus sat and talked to the Samaritan woman. This is where they buried the bones of Joseph that came up all the way out of Egypt. So this is an amazing place. So much biblical history there, and I've been able to visit there a number of times. And then he came down. Let me erase all of my scribbles. Uh, those of you who are listening, not watching, I apologize. I'm scribbling on a map. Um, just after Shechem, he came south. So Jerusalem is right there. Uh, right between the two, he would have come to near Bethel. Okay, Bethel. And that, that's where he built an altar. Now we're going to pick this story up in Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to look at verse 10. And there was a famine in the land. Now, wouldn't you think God would bring Abraham to a place that wouldn't have famines? I mean, if God really cares and God really loves us, why would he allow a famine? If he's in control, he can control the rain. He can give just the amount, perfect amount of water at the right time. And you will not have a famine if we've done our job planting the seeds. Um, newsflash, sometimes God allows bad things for a reason, okay? This applies to you today. This applies to our lives today. Same God. He often will allow something to happen for a reason. This is what we call a test of faith. This is not a test to see if you have faith or not. This is a test to see where, where, how your faith is going to do. Okay. We can be saved from our sin by faith. That's the only way that we can be saved. We're going to get into that today and talk about Abraham and what the Bible, what actually it says in Genesis about his salvation. And we're also going to see some of his sin, a wonderful man, an incredible man, but the Bible doesn't sugarcoat things. The Bible talked about David, this incredible king of Israel, this man after God's own heart, but David was guilty of adultery 
and murder. So the Bible doesn't sugarcoat things. The Bible says it like it is. Why? Because it's truth. You have to speak truth, don't you? Or you don't have anything. We're going to talk about speaking truth today as well in our story. But God allows this famine for a reason. Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Here again is the slide of the map. So from Shechem and Bethel, which is right here, they would have gone down into Egypt because of the famine that was in this region of the world. Now, does that sound familiar? Yeah, later on, this was going to happen again, right? One of the sons of, uh, of Jacob would be sold into slavery, Joseph, and he, while in Egypt, knew there was a famine coming. He prepared for that, and they had so much grain that the, the family of Jacob all had to come down into Egypt to survive the famine. So this is what's happening earlier in Abraham's day. Now let's talk about difficulties of life. There was a famous missionary called Amy Carmichael. She went to India, and she said life can be difficult. Sometimes the enemy comes in like a flood, but then is the time to prove your, our faith and live our songs. Isn't that a beautiful way of saying it? And this is, this is true. We had a young lady, very young, that came and spoke at our church, and she was going to India, and she was going to an area of India that nobody cared about, nobody, uh, it's very poor, and it's like nobody cares about that. She cared about it. She went there, and she's facing some persecution right now, and we need to pray for her. I'll just give you her first name. Her first name is Rachel, another beautiful biblical name. Let's pray for Rachel. Let's keep her in prayer. But life can be difficult. Life can be difficult. There's a famine in the land. This is what God has allowed. He might try your faith by sending a fire, a flood, a famine. But remember, he's doing it for your good. He's trying to make you better. So don't allow yourself to get bitter. Trials are often going to follow triumphs. You know, there was a huge triumph when... Abraham left uh, up in where his homeland was in Mesopotamia and came down into the land of Canaan. That's a huge triumph. He believed God. He obeyed God. And then famine hits. Be careful after a victory. Be careful after a triumph because often following that is going to be a trial. Just be prepared. I'm not saying it's always like that, but it's often like that. Now, why did Abraham go to Egypt? Some have criticized that decision. Some have said he shouldn't have gone. I, know, I don't find in the Bible anywhere that God says, Abraham, don't do that, um, or that was a dumb decision. It doesn't mean God didn't feel that way, but, but we don't see it explicitly in the Scripture. I feel like he should have at least talked to the Lord, consulted the Lord in this. The Lord that had brought him into Canaan to be prospered, and now there's this famine. Okay, Lord, here's a famine. I know I'm not going to die of hunger because you've promised a son through me and 
Sarah and I, we haven't had a son yet. We haven't had a child yet. So therefore, I believed you enough to come to Canaan. I believe that there's going to be this, this son of promise that hasn't happened yet. So therefore, we cannot die of starvation. As a matter of fact, he could not die of any other death. If God has promised this and it hasn't happened yet, then he's going to be okay. That is a fact. The problem when a trial comes, we don't think correctly. When trials come our way, often we, we get so panicked, we get so worried that we're not thinking by faith anymore. We're not using our faith to see, we're using our eyes to see. And when they looked around, they saw dust, they saw empty cupboards, they saw problems, and they said, well, there's one solution here, they've got food in Egypt, we're going to have to go to Egypt. Now what's so bad about going to Egypt? Well, if you know your Bible, you know that Egypt is always used in the Bible as a place of worldliness, as a place of sin, as a, a place that people are not serving the one true God. Now, now, I'm not saying if you're from Egypt that you're bad. Not at all. There's some amazing people from Egypt that have put their faith in the one true God. But the, the land of Egypt, at least in biblical times, was a place that you, you go down to. When you go to Israel, when you go to Jerusalem, you go up to Jerusalem. There's a reason for that. Down to Egypt. We even see it in our text today. Should they have gone down to Egypt? That's a debatable question. The more I studied this through, the more I felt like they should not have done this. But they did. And you're going to say, well, why? What's the big deal? Well, let's, let me just say this, and then we're going to get back into Genesis um, 12, 11. Let me just say this. When you stop walking by faith, your faith can turn into scheming. In other words, you're not, you're not following God's direction anymore. You're trying to figure it out on your own, which is not a good idea. Why? Because we don't have the ability to see past our lives, our, 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 our day. We, we don't know the big picture. We can't see the future. So why, why wouldn't we allow our lives to be guided by the one that can see outside of time? See, doesn't that make more sense? But when you're in the midst of the problem, we stop looking by faith. We stop walking by faith. You're going to start trying to make things happen by your own will, not by God's will. You're going to start to rely on your power and not God's power. Genesis 12, 11 says, And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that a thought entered his mind. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but I think that's what happened. We started getting near Egypt. He started to think, uh-oh, we have a problem. What was the problem? Well, he said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look at. What does that mean? That means that she is beautiful. She's beautiful. We, we, we know that. She was a beautiful woman. Sarah was a beautiful woman. And now, if we do the math, I believe she would have been around 65, 66, 67 years old. And I know women can be beautiful at a hundred, okay? But at a certain point, just, you know, life happens and things with men and women. I mean, it's just, it's hard, right? It's hard. It's just how life is. But they did live longer after the flood. Their lives are getting shorter and shorter, but maybe, maybe there's some sort of prorate uh, to her age. I don't know what, maybe, maybe knock off 10 or 20 years, okay? Just, the way we imagine how someone would, would look. Either way, at her age, at her time, she was a fair woman to look at. And it starts to worry Abraham. 
Why should he worry about this? Because, well, let's see what he said. Therefore, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, this is his wife, and they will kill me. Oh, Abraham. Now, if God's promise had not yet been fulfilled, and he did believe God, okay? He did believe God enough to leave his homeland to go to Canaan. Could they have killed him? They could not have killed him. But he was worried about that. He was starting to walk by sight, not by faith anymore. And they will save the alive. So now he's worried about her, right? Is he worried about her? (laughs) Now this is complicated. I'm not saying this is easy. But we can learn from this. We can learn how easy it is for us to make poor decisions based on our circumstances when we aren't being biblical. It's so easy. So he's worried that they're going to kill him to have her. Say, I pray thee. Oh, I got a really good idea, Sarah. I got a really good idea. Wait till you hear my idea. Say, thou art my sister. Now, is that a lie? Later on, spoiler alert, he does it again. Not in Egypt, but he does it again. He does it again. It's crazy. But in that scenario, when we read through that, it actually says, as he's explaining to uh, the other king that he was trying to trick, lie to, without lying, right? That she was a half-sister, okay? She was the daughter of his father, but not his mother. And that, again, wasn't unusual at that time. The genetics hadn't been so messed up yet by that time that it wasn't a problem. Later on, God ban that. God, and we still ban that. We still say that's wrong. But back then it wasn't. So it was true. It was a true statement. Say, hey, you're my sister. It's not a lie, is it? I'm going to tell you something. Because of circumstances this week, I stayed up all night working on this sermon. Okay. Now what I just said is true. I stayed up all night working on this sermon for you. I care so much about you. I don't care about sleep. I don't care about my own health. I stayed up all night working on this sermon because I love you guys. Plus, they canceled my flight. So I I didn't say the whole truth. And, And it wasn't a lie. But what I just told you isn't the truth, is it? It's not the truth. Let's be careful with our words. Let's be careful of how we say things. Because you're going to, almost everything you say, you're going to say to make yourself look better. How do I know? Because that's what I do. That's how what I do. Now, some of you that know, um, I, we had unusual circumstances this week. And it, 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 what I said wasn't a lie. But I didn't stay up to work on this sermon. I stayed up because I had nothing else to do until my flight the next morning. So... Be careful with your words. Be careful with your words. And although this isn't a flat out 100% lie, because it is true, he is still lying. Or he's actually asking her to lie. Now, why is he saying, say you're my sister? That it may be well with me for thy sake. And my soul shall live because of thee. Now, what is the man supposed to do? What is the husband supposed to do? What What is the, the purpose of of God giving the man the authority to be the head of the, of the wife. 
Why would God do that? And that's a biblical principle. Not to say one isn't equal than the other. We're equal, 100%. In God's eyes, we have the same exact value. And, and that's important to, re, to realize. But God has given the man the leadership in the home. And that's not wrong. Okay, it's not wrong. It's right. But God did that assuming that the man would be the protector and the provider. Okay, is he protecting her? No, he's actually saying, okay, if we go in there and they take you, they're going to kill me. We have to go to Egypt. We have to because we're going to die if we don't, which wasn't true either. And maybe God did want them to go to Egypt, but God should have directed them or, or they should have talked about it with him. And we don't have a recording of that. Either way, he should not have said, she's my sister. By implication, she's not my wife because she was his wife. He was there to be her protector. And he failed at this. Why am I pointing this out? Not to be hard at Abraham because I fail the Lord all the time. All the time. I'm pointing it out because some people assume that Abraham was saved because he was a good guy. And he was, I would say, generally speaking, a very amazing man. But not sinless. Not sinless as we're seeing here. Okay, so what did Sarah do? Well, I think this is an important part of scripture that God did not write down because we did not hear what Sarah said to Abraham. But either way, this is, this is what happened. Um, there, there's, there would probably be a whole another several books of the Bible to hear uh, what, the, what the wife thinks about the decision of the husband. So Genesis 12, uh, 14 says, and it came to pass that when Abram was come down into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. Exactly at what he was worried about, they noticed her. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So now Sarah has been taken. Okay. Now what's going to happen? Well, the plan is going to go forward. And he entreated, he being Pharaoh, Abram, well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. You're not supposed to say ass in church unless you're talking about a donkey, by the way. It's crazy, isn't it? How language changes. So Pharaoh gave a lot for Sarah. Okay. But was it worth it? No. Verse 17 says, and the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Does that sound familiar? Plagues in Egypt? Hmm? And releasing people because of the plagues? This is all interesting how it does picture something that is going to happen in the future. So God says, nope, 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 nope. She's going to be only Abraham's not yours, Pharaoh. Aren't you glad that sometimes God gets us out of our jams? Not to say it's right to get into the jams. We should try to avoid it, but it's going to happen. And if you love the Lord and you're faithful, um, he'll come through. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Good question, Pharaoh. Pharaoh's actually having some common sense here. Why dost thou say she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now, therefore, behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And that's what they did. 
Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now, you might say, well, okay, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Everything that ends well is well. Is that right? <laughs> all that, all's well that ends well is not always the right way to look at things. Did it end well? Well, Abraham ended up with more. He kept all of the gifts. He kept all of the animals, and he got servants. Well, there's a problem. One of the servants was Hagar, a maiden from Egypt. And if you'll read your Bible and you know your Bible, and as we'll get to later, you're going to find out that there was a real big problem because of Hagar. Not really Hagar's fault, honestly. It was really Sarah's fault and Abraham's fault that he didn't have better judgment in that whole episode from this Egyptian escapade. They go, they get back up at the Canaan with more. They survive the famine. So, oh, this is all good. No, they now have a, a, a bigger problem setting up for the future. When you disobey God, there's often bigger problems ahead for you. While it looks like you might have gotten through without a problem, there still could be a problem. Now, there was another problem. Remember, they went down into Egypt with everybody. Lot was part of his group. Lot was his brother's son. It was his nephew. Lot saw in Egypt beautiful, amazing things. He saw prosperity. He saw all that the world has to offer. So now Lot, his uncle Abraham, that was supposed to be teaching him faith, Abraham makes the decision based on sight. And now Lot sees all this prosperity in Egypt. So now when Lot is asked the question, on which way he wants to go, he chooses sight later on. We're going to study that too. That's another problem set up that I don't know would have happened if he hadn't gone to Egypt. Folks, there's a lot of problems when we disobey God. Disobedience is never profitable. It always hurts. It always hurts us. It always hurts other people. Now you think, well, I'm sure Abraham wouldn't have done that again. He learned his lesson. Well, Let's go over to Genesis 20. And in some of the places that we're skipping, we're going to come back to. So just relax, okay? Genesis 20. So some years have passed. And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country. Now, sometimes we think Abraham moved to the land of Canaan and he just drove down stakes and never moved. No, they would move, often move. They were the nomadic lifestyle, kind of like the Bedouins of today. They were moving around. Why? Because they were shepherds and they were uh, using the open areas to graze their animals. So they would move around based on where that availability was. And he went toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur journey and journey to Gerar. Now, where's Gerar? We actually know where that is today. It's right near the Gaza envelope. If we know where Gaza is, and I'm sure you do because of what the conflict that's going on in Israel and Gaza it's in that general area. That was an area that was occupied by the Philistines. The Philistines are no relation to the Palestinians. That's a whole nother sermon that I will, I've shared before and I'll share again sometime. But the Philistines are an extinct people. But the king of this town, of this city-state of Gerar uh, and Abraham had a conversation. And Abraham, in verse 2 of Genesis 20, said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Have we, have we heard that record? Have we seen this movie before? 
She's my sister. And Abimelech, by the way, Abimelech is more of a title of the king of the Philistines. And Abimelech, and we're going to see his name pop up later on in our, in our study, king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. So it happened again. He said, she's my sister. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said unto him, behold, thou art but a dead man. <laughs> How would you like God to say that to you? Whew, you're a dead man. Now that's a very popular way of saying things. But it's true. For the woman which thou hast taken, she is a man's wife. Now I'm sure the king of the Philistines wasn't a wonderful moral person, but they did not allow a man to take another man's wife. It's like in the Old West. They say, uh, you can take a, a cowboy's wife, but you cannot take his horse. You know, I mean, there's just a certain line that you do not cross. And uh, apparently the Philistines had a line. You do not cross. And uh, which, is, which is good. I mean, they had some sense of morality. But I don't know that they're doing it for moral reasons. I think they know the problems that happen when you take another man's wife. All sorts of problems come into society. Okay, that's why it's wrong. That's why God says not to do it. And we'll jump to verse 9 of Genesis 20. Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, Why hast thou done unto us? Doesn't that sound like a few chapters ago? In, in Egypt with Pharaoh? What, what are you doing? Why hast thou done this to us? And what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Isn't that interesting? He recognizes adultery as sin, doesn't he? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. So he did it again. And I asked my wife today, I said, From a woman's perspective, what would, what would you be thinking if I did it? First in Egypt, and I did it again here. My wife is such a gracious, wonderful woman. And she said, honey, if it would save you, I would do it. Like, truly amazing, amazing woman. So he, he, he lied. He did it for his own personal safety. And ultimately, he didn't have faith, did he? He didn't have faith. So Abraham is a sinner, isn't he? He is a sinner, a good person. I mean, an amazing person, a person that I think we, we should emulate, we, we should honor, we should have high regard for, and everyone that came from him, by the way, but still a sinner and in need of salvation because sinners can't save themselves. It says in Isaiah... Chapter 1, verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Why does the Bible equate sin to crimson and scarlet? I think it has to do with it being the color of blood. Spilt blood isn't supposed to happen. When you see red that's coming out of a body, an animal or a human, it, it disturbs us, or it should. It should. I know some of you will just flat out pass out, even if it's your own blood coming out of your arm. And so we have sin. 
We are all sinners. We've all done wrong. We have all gone astray. There's no one righteous. No, not one. We cannot clean this ourselves. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we wash, you're just going to continue to have sin. But what God can do, and only God can do this, is he can take something that is sinful and, and wrecked and ruined in the mire of the, the mud of sin is all over you, and he can make you whiter than snow. He can totally cleanse you whiter than wool. Why do they use wool and snow in Isaiah? Because some people don't know what snow is. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we lived in a place that we didn't know what snow was? I know in Israel, they know what snow is because it's often up in the north on Mount Hermon, but um, sometimes it's in Jerusalem. I've seen it in Jerusalem, snow. But if you don't know what snow is, let's say wool. Though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. How can this happen? How can Abraham's sins be washed away? How can my sins be washed away? Well, the Bible actually tells us there was a man, his name was Saul. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the stock of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. As touching the law, he was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, he persecuted the church. He hated Christians because he thought that they were a, a, a cult. That they had veered off of the truth. And one day... As he was out trying to kill Christians, he saw the light. He met Jesus. He met Yeshua. And it changed his life. And he said these words. Remember, a Jew of the Jews, he said, if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Was Abraham justified? We know Abraham was justified because the Bible says he was. Was he justified by works? Was he justified because he was willing to offer Isaac? That was an amazing action. as an amazing testimony. Is that what saved Abraham? Is that what cleansed Abraham? Paul says, what saith the scripture? I love this. This, is, this should be on our wall. What does the Bible say? What does scripture say? And he quotes from Genesis. He says, Abraham believed God. It, could, it that, could it be that simple to just believe, just have faith? What did he believe? He believed God's promise. Not God's promises. He believed one big promise, the big promise of the Bible that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. He gave it to Abraham in Genesis 12. And now we're reading about this faith and the big promise. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So no longer is Abraham's sin showing because of the blood of the Messiah was going to cleanse him. That, that blood, that perfect innocent blood, can somehow wash away the sinful stain on our life. Now, where does it say that in the Bible, in the, in the Older Testament? Well, let's read Let's go back to Genesis and read verse 15. Paul was quoting from Genesis 15. We'll get to that in verse 6 in a minute. Let's set it up. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. 
And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless. And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. What he's saying here, we're going we're gonna to learn more about this Eliezer, a really amazing person. Uh, one of the servants in his house must have been born in his house. And if you're born in someone's house, you're kind of considered the son. So he, he, Abraham's saying, is this the son of promise? This Eliezer that was born in my house? Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Right? And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. No, 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 it's not Eliezer. It's not anyone other than your physical son. This shall not be thy heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look into the heaven, tell, tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. Abraham, you're going to have a son. He's going to be your biological son through Sarah. The son with the name Laughter, Isaac. And he believed in the Lord. Here it is. Here it right in the Bible. This is right from what says scripture. He believed in the Lord. And he, this is God, counted it to him, Abraham, for what? Righteousness. There it is. When you put your trust in the Lord, in the promise, which is the promise of the Messiah, the promise of the innocent, perfect human blood sacrifice that was pictured by the animals, but those animals could never save you because they were animals. It had to be the perfect human. There's no way a human can be perfect because we've all sinned. Well, that's why God had to intervene in an incredible miracle that happened one day in Israel. Let's go back to Romans 4 as we wrap it up. Now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. If you're trying to save yourself by works, you're not saved. You're, you're only doing good works, but you're not saving yourself. And you're, you're, you're not going to be saved by that. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You see that salvation? By faith. It's by faith. Now you say, well, what about James? James says something different. James 2.21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? And that's a fair question, and that's a good question. Let me explain it really quick. When was Abraham saved according to Genesis? Before Isaac was born. Before Isaac was born. So what is James talking about? James is talking about evidencing our salvation. Justification before men. Showing our righteousness for people to see. That's what James is saying. How do you save someone physically? They come to you. They're hungry. They're cold. They need help. And you say, be warmed and filled. That's not helping them. How do we help them? You feed them. You give them clothes. You put them under a roof. That's how you save someone physically. So that's showing your faith. Romans is talking about how you're saved before God, your righteousness before God. Let me end with this. The Bible says that we're all sinners. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Now, you guys probably think I had one rag, but I, you know I have two, right? Yeah, it's not some magic trick. I'm not that good. 
But we, we're born in sin. We, we sin every day. Let this represent sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let this hand represent us. Abraham, David, Jim, everybody. We're sinners. We're sinners. By the way, Isaac did the same thing his dad did. The same thing. We're all sinners. We've all made mistakes. We've all failed those tests. But Jesus came. He never sinned. He fulfilled all of the prophecies exactly as predicted. And the Bible says he died on a cross for our sins. He died. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And he invites any person to put their faith in him. And that is the only thing that can save you. That will pass you from death and sin and give you beautiful cleanliness, the righteousness of only God. That's how we can be saved when we believe that Jesus died for our sins. And Jesus said these words to a a very religious man, a very good man by the name of Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you've never believed that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, I invite you to do that right now.